Coming at you from Title One Studios, I'm Steph Scholl here with the Silver Dollar Man. And who's the Silver Dollar Man? Why, me of course, Scott Stevenson. All you real estate agents out there, the Utah housing market can feel like a rat race at times. You guys are constantly having to adapt and change. And here at Nominations, how do you separate yourself from the pack? This is a weekly dose to help you with that. I'm going to nominate Mr. J. Bradley Simmons. He's very involved in the construction field and things like that. He's actually a a pretty big deal, not only in Utah, but just in different places. So I am nominating Mr. J. Bradley Simmons. You just heard from Elizabeth give a raving review for Brad, and we have him here with us, and he is with Magleby Construction. After that introduction, we don't have anybody on here. By the way, Brad, we never have anybody on here who isn't like A+. Right, Steph? Exactly. Till today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested to know, give us a little bit about your background. Just Just briefly. Okay, Brad. As brief as you can get because I know how great it is. I'm just a guy raised in Sandy, Utah. Hey, me too. Go see Jordan High Beat Digger. Proud of that. Uh, The Beat Digger. You know, so been in, uh, back in the day, worked construction when I was 12 years old because my dad had a construction company and... Back then, they didn't get arrested for having kids working on the job sites. Whoa. My dad would literally take me and my buddies out to Magna, drop us off and say, do this work and come back and pick <laughs> us up at five o'clock. And and uh, so learned how to work really hard and um, uh, got my real estate license literally two weeks out of high school in 1980. Wow. Currently a broker. I have my own small little brokerage, New Homes Real Estate. So anyway, so I've uh, been working in construction my whole life, uh, past president of Woodside Homes, had my own company, Cottage Homes, for a while. Uh, currently working for Magleby Construction, which is a high-end custom home builder here in Utah, founded by Paul Magleby 45 years ago. We have another thing in common exactly. uh, we've been talking, is that right out of high school, I worked as an apprentice carpenter, and the subway system was coming out of Washington, D.C., and my claim to fame is, is that I actually framed the flower boxes around the Pentagon. So when people say, what's in my background? I say, I used to work at the Pentagon. There you go. <laughs> at the Pentagon stop, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been through there a few times. Through, uh, yeah, like I told you before, I love D.C. and yeah. served uh, serve on two boards back there. Anyway, life is just great, and uh, that's just who I am. And and one of the here. boards that you're on is the Home Builder. The National Association of Home Builders. Okay. So I've served on that for 22 years. So, And I think that that's really fascinating because what – like the National Association, what's going on in the nation with homes? And what do you do for them when yeah. you're on the board? Yeah. Give us an idea of some of the things that come. So the, to the board, you. Yes, as a board member, you commit to attend uh, three meetings a year. There's actually five meetings for the core board. There's actually a group of delegates they call, and then there's a board. So the board's about 100 people. Delegates are about 2,000. I'm members of both, but I've been a member of the board. Uh, serve on the budget committee, the convention committee. Uh, you basically just the board handles all the the legal business stuff of the the association Mm -hmm. the council of delegates basically handles the policy side so we lobby for the home builders industry we we join forces with the nar a lot of times you know to to fight for housing and um, we do education we have a huge convention we just pulled that off in january post-pandemic had about seventy thousand people attend the the national convention down in florida offered uh, 150 education sessions and so there's we just deal with all that kind of stuff kind of like more the political arm um there there definitely is a lobbying side probably most of our staff fit in the lobbying Mm -hmm. group um but we also you know talk about policy and and try to do education and get our keep our members strong in, in the latest and greatest things coming out in the industry and and try and put out policy that helps housing throughout the country both in the in the residential realm so in the multifamily and in the the single family so how do you get on a board like that so there's local associations there's five in Utah I'm a member of the Utah Valley home builders and um, I started off representing them. Mm-hmm. Um, my current status is I've served long enough that I kind of am grandfathered in, so I don't have to have a local association sponsoring me anymore. But uh, you basically represent your local and take back ideas to the national of what's going on locally and what you need to do. And 
And um, and then build a reputation, or I mean, how do you get on the national board from there? Well, I mean, I got on because Paul Magleby was serving, and he said, "Hey, dummy, you should come back <laughs> and serve with me." I'm like, you know, I had no idea. Okay, yeah, yeah, what is that? Oh, I'll get to fly around the country and go to meetings. That's cool. And then you're all of a sudden you get involved, and you realize, oh my gosh, you wake up and say, "This is taking twenty percent of my life." You know? so, but it's awesome. Uh, there's nothing better than serving something you love, and I absolutely. Uh, love the home building industry bringing a project from the planning stage to the finish stage and have friends all over the country uh, have worked with hundreds of realtors in utah when i was with woodside homes especially because we were a production home builder and and title companies and you just have friends everywhere sure you know and um and all striving to help families get into homes which is a a big thing uh, with all of my work outside of the country you realize how important home ownership really is because they don't own their homes they rent their homes yeah i mean right now i'm trying to rent an apartment santa domingo uh the dominican republic and it is so hard even to rent. I mean, mm. you know, you have to you pay U.S. basically value for an apartment, and you have to have two months rent up front plus two months deposit. I mean, it's like five or six thousand dollars. And I mean, just wondering how do people that make ten thousand dollars a year right. pay for this? You just realize how awesome our structure is here. They don't have a a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or Ginnie Mae in the Dominican Republic. There's 12 yeah. million people down there that basically, for the most part, rent their homes. How does anybody get a home there? Just uh, it, it, have to be it, like it blows rich? my mind. I don't know. I mean, yeah. obviously, the place I'm looking at is is more American. You know, mm-hmm. nice. It's nicer, but um, it's just really hard. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I work down there for the the team that I work down there and realize that uh, civil engineering students, architectural students make seven to ten thousand dollars a year U.S. We pay, I pay $37 a month for my phone here, unlimited everything. They pay 50 down there, and it's limited. It's like ours used to be. Yeah, oh, so yeah. much oh, robot, so many tags. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, that makes no sense. These people uh, make nothing, and yet and they have a more. phone, it costs more than we pay here. Yeah. You know, so right. it's anyway, a lot of interesting things going on uh, in that regard. But, but yeah, it's the, probably the greatest thing with my service on the board is just the friendships I have all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that when Elizabeth like nominates you, I went to your Facebook, and you have all these things that you've been a part of. I just like to brag. (laughs) But but you've done a lot. And so I want to know from your perspective, if you could go, I mean, because you've been on the construction side, you've been, as we're talking about, on the more seeing the whole picture and like with the policies and everything, what... If you had a soapbox, or if you could go back in time, what do you wish that more real estate agents knew, or what do you wish that you knew yourself back in the day? Well, I think, you know, having been always on the new construction side, Uh it's always interesting. Um, uh, There's a little thing going on now, because I just helped my son buy a new construction home as his agent. Um, builders really have lost their desire to engage with real estate agents. And back when I was with Woodside Homes, 50% of our sales came from agents. We loved agents. We courted agents. Mm-hmm. We we gave them gift cards on top of their commissions. I mean, we did all kinds yeah. of things. And, and we had a really good relationship. I mean, Fred Law, uh, who's an agent here in town, he sold a ton of houses for me. And we, we became friends, you mm-hmm. know. And... and um, it seems now there's kind of an animosity between those, especially the production home builders. And real estate agents have never done well in the custom market just because in the custom market, customers, it's kind of a cost plus right. arena. And they look at it and say, oh, I'm going to buy a $5 million home and you want me to tax you know, 3 or yeah. 6% on top of it? No way. And so, I, But if I was learning of what I've learned, I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the years is that the relationships make the difference. Yeah. And I'm a, little, I'm a little skeptical now because the, the production builders don't seem to want those relationships, right? They're dropping commissions. and, and um, Why do you think yeah. that is? What, is? what has changed in the last... 20 years uh, to, to make that big of a change? Because I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I think um, it's easier for the builders to get to the market now with all the social media and the, mm. the internet. It's just easier for them to get to the customers directly. So maybe they don't have to rely on those agents. But I would tell our agent audience that um, if I had advice for them, I would tell them that 
those buyers who are going to new construction need representation. Now, that's the real estate side of me coming out, right? But uh, just having finished with my son's house, I won't say who the builder was, it was not a real pleasant experience. Now, mm-hmm. mind you, I'm the, I've been in construction my whole life. I yeah. can walk in and go, no, that's not right. It needs to be fixed. Um, and so, but agents need to understand because builders, when agents wing it, when agents pretend they understand for the yeah. for for their customers, you know, satisfaction and they really don't get it, it just makes the builders mad. You know, if you go in, make sure you understand how it's really supposed to be, what it's supposed to be like, and if you want to do that, that's that's a way you can really serve your customers. So, I mean, just understanding that and and having that those relationships is really powerful. You know, well, do I, you find the consumer is a little bit <clears throat> ignorant when it comes to that too? Because a lot of times, doesn't it, I mean, a buyer walks in. They see a home. They don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, there, there's one builder in town that uh, when my son bought his first home, um, new construction, I read their contract, and I'm like, we're leaving because it it was so bad, so builder-directed, the contract. Mm-hmm. And yet they were selling tons of houses. Yeah. And so my guess is nobody read that. 50-page contract and um, you know basically it said we don't care what you come up with on the walkthrough we're not gonna if we decide not to fix it you're out of luck Mm. and I'm like so if you pour the driveway wrong you don't fix it or you know if you build this wrong and and so I think there's um, there's a lot of need for representation there and for somebody who really read the contract understand it because as you know my son's real estate agent I said no we're not buying from this builder they can do what they need to do no harm, no foul sure. on their part, but we're not going to go into that. Um, so anyway, but that's, I mean, the new construction arena is blowing up around the country, mm-hmm. right? In oh, it's Utah. around the country. That yeah. is oh, yeah. Every, I don't know a market in the country that's not doing more permits now than they have. Uh, we all panicked when the pandemic started. And in reality, the pandemic gave new construction a huge shot in the arm. Uh, we were one of the industries that were able to keep working in most states. There were a few states that they couldn't. And when we talk about why builders aren't using more realtors, why are they lowering their commissions? Because they don't need them, right? They're selling yeah. so many right now, mm. supply and demand, that yeah. really besides the fact they can interact with them directly through the internet, we're so busy, we don't need to be paying yeah. 3%. I just built new construction and I was so grateful for my real estate agent. Just there were like a few things that mm-hmm. he just like smoothed over mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, Well, you know, on my son's house, I mean, just to be able to walk through, of course, a lot of real estate agents don't have you know, 40 plus years experience yeah. in construction, but be able to walk through and just say, listen, this doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. You know, this just is not up to standard. Um, there's um, one of my really good friends is a really uh, has a great team here in the valley, uh, Heather Roxburgh, and you know she does some new construction and calls me once in a while for some opinions on things. But they have a great team and they have the experience, like many of the other teams, that can really give a buyer great representation. And I love new construction. I love the builders in this valley. Many of them are my f- great friends, but we do struggle with that customer interaction, especially with the communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things go wrong in construction. Right now during the pandemic, you can't, you know, can't get appliances, mm-hmm. you can't get lumber, costs yeah. are going through the roof. You know, you yeah. got the builder in Sandy that's on the every news station because he cancels a whole bunch of contracts. And then you have other big builders in the state who don't and basically absorb those additional mm-hmm. costs, yeah. you know, for the benefit of their customers. And um, I mean, I'll just say Ivory Homes, lar- largest builder in the state. Clark did not raise prices to those customers. He and he had a lot of homes under contract. You know, well, and, I know you had a positive experience, right, Steph? Yeah. Same way. Yeah, yeah same thing. Where that they kept my contract. Kept contract. And so I, I like hearing it, especially if it's nationwide that building is mm-hmm. we're in need of it. How do the real estate agents listening develop a better relationship with the builders? You know, I, I think if I was if I was doing real estate each and every day right now, I would pick four or five builders that I thought were really good, and I would know about their projects. I would get to know their agents, and I would identify, uh, especially if they're a larger production builder, a couple agents that I really thought were good, and I would take my business to them. 
and and develop that relationship because into even though builders might be shying away from realtor participation there's agents out there who know that realtors are their bread and butter and okay. they're you know they're realtors anyway yeah and so if you find a couple and then really narrow your focus so when a customer comes to you you say okay these are the ones i would recommend and these are the ones i've had a good experience with because relationships really is what it's all about you're always i've never had a construction project that didn't have something go wrong i mean there's just too many yeah. components there's too many yeah, people yeah. involved um one of my one of my favorite business gurus a guy named peter drucker from the 60s and he's like everything goes really well until you infuse human humanity into the situation <laughs> and, it, and it goes bad yeah. so um you know get a relationship so that when stuff does go wrong you have enough faith in that person you're not blowing a gasket right yes. you're you're, yeah. you're dealing with relationships yeah. so you call them up and say hey dude you know what's going on let's go to lunch and talk about it you know the relationship carries you through the difficulty uh-huh. and i think um um well my doctoral dissertation is on mediated communication and so that's texting emails zoom anything that's not face to face and and one of the things that i'm finding in the research is that we're we're not getting investment in the relationship Right, we're 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 not going to lunch. We're not going out and playing golf. Those things are crazy. The best project I ever did for Woodside Homes was in Layton, and we sealed the deal on a golf course, hmm. you know, just by chance. And um, so, I think we need relationships because relationships are what carry us through difficulty. Yeah, you know. And if I if something goes wrong, and I you know my favorite agent at Ivory Homes, if something goes wrong, and I can call him up and say, hey, give me a hand or whatever, and he's like, okay. Um, it, it's just easier than calling somebody you don't know or somebody you're dealing with for the first time. So that would be some advice I would give agents on new construction. <clears throat> I'll tell you what I tell my team members all the time. Pick up the damn phone. Because too many times we rely on texting or email yeah. to cast the responsibility off of our shoulders and put it on somebody else's, right? So it's 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, and I, you know, I know I need to call this agent about a problem out on a house that's being built for one of my customers. So I text him. John, there's a problem with lot number 73, da 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 Now, it's no longer my responsibility, right? Yeah. I've taken it <laughs> off my shoulders. I put it on you know, so-and-so builder's agent's right. shoulders, and I tell my customer, yep, I let the builder know there's a problem. You solved nothing. Right, <laughs> you right? probably created more anxiety. <laughs> you, you solved nothing. And so... And, you know, we're, we humans are so good, we never reply to text unless we want to. So we get the text, we go, okay, I'll reply to that Monday or whatever. We don't say got it or okay or anything like that. And so what I'm finding is in, just in business in general is that people tend to cast off those responsibilities to other people through this mediated communication, whereas in the old days, you had to pick up the phone and actually talk to somebody. Hey, John, there's a problem out on lot 73. Oh, okay, I'll get on that. And you have immediate feedback. Um, and and I think we're doing that. You talk about to avoid mm-hmm. uh, human avoidance is a theory, the human avoidance theory. I think we're using mediated communication to avoid dealing with situations, especially if they're a little bit troublesome. Uh, I mean, text is great to say, hey, I'm going to be late or I'll be there. Or, you know, there's a great functionality in texting and emailing, but too often we use it to avoid actually solving the situation or dealing with something and so i mean how many times my staff will come in i can't get them to respond i'm like what are you doing oh, i'm emailing them pick up the damn phone call yeah. them and two minutes later they're back in my office hey problem solved yeah like yeah or and on the other side of that pick up your phone right exactly because yeah. it's easy now to just allow a voicemail to go into your box and right. not have to have that conversation. Right. I mean, how many times do you see it on – you see a name come up and you go, eh. Later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and in the old days, we didn't have – because I'm old as dirt. We didn't have that. You know, you had to pick up the well, phone to find out who it was. Well, if you're old as dirt, you know how old I am. <laughs> but yeah. – uh, yeah. yeah, you didn't have that privilege. Yeah. You and, had to actually confront the problem. Right. And it's interesting because I uh, actually taught a class on emotional intelligence at a university in the Dominican Republic called UMFU. Um, And um, one of the things we talk about is controlling the inflow because it's a fallacy that communication technology has eased our lives. It absolutely has not. It absolutely has complicated our lives. We now all work 24 hours a day, where in the old days we worked 8 to 5. And I know that because I get emails from team members at 10 o'clock at night, which means there's, they're interrupting their 
private time to look right. at emails and respond. Um, if you went on vacation, you were on vacation. Right. Now, when you go on vacation, you're just taking yeah. your phone oh with Oh, my it, goodness. And they you know? still expect you. Yeah. I go to a funeral. I, I, I found this interesting. I'm at my father-in-law's funeral, and I'm getting people contacting me for business. And I say, I'm at my father's funeral, uh, my father-in-law's funeral. And they say, well, that's great. But they want to be responded back to within an hour. They'll give me an hour. Right. We're in a fa- <laughs> we live in a fast food world. Yeah. And so we're so used to everything being so fast. And the technology is there. And so at least in my own life, I've had to learn to control the inflow. Uh, I mean, I have five email accounts uh, in the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico. They use WhatsApp, not texting. Mm -hmm. So I have WhatsApp, I have texting. People message me through Messenger. You know, I mean, it's just like, when does it stop? And so... You, you know, I have a great friend who, who uh, has sold a couple of businesses here in town, done very well. And one day he looked at me and he said, you realize that you can turn that phone so it goes, do not disturb? I'm like, no, really? He's like, yeah. So at 9 o'clock every night, my phone goes to do not disturb. Automatically, I've got it set. The only people that can get through to me during that time frame from 9 to 5 in the morning are anybody in my favorites list, which is mostly my kids. Yeah. And so, um, and I also do not have my phone notify me when I get a text. I do not have it notify me when I get an email. I turned all that crap off because I realized that there, I, I had a certain amount of success before I had all those interruptions. And yeah. so controlling the inflow is all about, okay, I will respond in a timely manner. And I do. I look at, like, when I leave here, I will sit in my truck. You will notice I will sit in my truck for a few minutes. I'll go through my text. I'll go through my emails, make sure if there's anything I need to respond to immediately. Because I've trained myself that because I don't respond immediately, I have to look, you know, four or five times a day. But, oh, my gosh, how much more stuff do we get done when we don't have nine million interruptions during the day? And we actually have some private time now do you think it would hurt you if you because i know that a lot of realtors believe that they have to answer the phone immediately their clients call i gotta get it Mm -hmm. uh so they're always 24 7 um what's your advice well i mean i know that because i have a lot of realtor friends and they all live that life Uh, i would tell you that at this point in my life i would manage my customers expectations and i would say i don't answer my phone immediately i don't respond to text immediately but i will tell you three or four times a day i will get to that and we will take care of your situation and you know hopefully you offset that with your professionalism and your experience and your customers are okay with it most people even though we live in a fast food world and we have those expectations if you manage their expectations and let them know up front if you don't tell them they're going to be ticked but if you say hey this is how i function most of them will go, oh, my gosh, I would love to function that way, right? Yeah. So I think you're okay, but you've, you've got to tell them up front. Uh, you know, I mean, I love to cruise. And for years, I cruised because that was the one place I could get away from business. And now my phone flipping rings on the cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you because know. I remember we went on a cruise, my wife and I, way back, uh, I don't know when it was, 2000 or something like that. And uh, at the time, uh, yeah, it was before smartphones. Yeah. And I remember get, going on that cruise and saying to myself, this is the first time in, in 25 years that I actually felt at peace right there was nobody that could get a hold of me no expectation and i could actually relax feel myself relax Mm -hmm. and spend time with my Mm -hmm. wife and feel like you know she was actually getting 100 percent attention because nobody else was i'll tell you another secret about these phones we have in our pockets that airplane mode that crap works on the ground. So you can turn that on and you want you want to have a nap, you just put that airplane mode on, you can have a nap. Really good. You don't have to be in the air to use that. I do it all the time. So, so I want to know a little bit more. So what are you getting your PhD in? Um, so it's a doctorate of business I mean, administration. Okay, doctorate. Yeah, right. and it's not a PhD. So it's interesting. It used to be only PhD, but now they have a business channel or, or course. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the business. Um, so it's a doctorate of business administration, very much like a master's of business okay. administration, uh, and it's uh, it's business with a leadership emphasis. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Well, and the nice thing I like about that, and this is a thing that's kind of changed over the course of time too, is education. There is availability for education now for anybody. You can always right. up your game, right? No matter how old you yeah. are or how young you are. Well, and around the world, and it makes a bigger difference. Like I was with my team in the Dominican Republic. There's only 18 of them right now, but we have an office and. 
and we had a big open house down there and, and one of the team members said i really want to get my master's and i'm like great and he goes but i want to get it from a u.s school so i need to go there i'm like no dude you don't yeah you know governors western governors university right here headquartered in salt lake city offers master's programs online every day the University of Utah is online now. Westminster, where I got my master's, has online programs. So, and you do not have to be a citizen to take advantage of that. And you know, Western Governors is extremely affordable because you can go. It's, and as I think there's there used to be, and I say used to be, um, I don't know, maybe not quite the same respect for an online degree but i think that's changed it has i mean you look at university of phoenix for years everybody would roll their eyes if you had a degree from university of phoenix because it was more of an online kind of alternate yeah. mm-hmm. program nowadays no uh, i will tell you that i you know i did my degree at westminster mostly an online program um, my doctorate's at liberty totally an online program i'm not sure they're as good I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure they're as good. Um, you have to have the ability to really want it yeah. and want to learn because you can get a piece of paper without learning a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I mean, I strive to learn as much as I can, but that's who I am. I love to learn. and and um, But still, I, I miss that relationship yeah. of being with the professor. Professor and, and being able to – but know. every major university is really at this – at this point, offering online. All, all of them. Yeah. All yeah. of them. Yep. Yeah. All of them. Yep. So there's, you know, Liberty University. I specifically went to a brick and mortar school mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to have that component. There are, there are uniquely online schools, but there's also brick and mortar schools like Liberty or BYU or mm-hmm. University of Utah Westminster who are offering online programs. And so. You know, and and the funny thing is, uh, back when I was in Jordan High School in 1980, I <laughs> set a goal to get a doctorate degree, and I won't get it till I'm 61. But, but I love that you're getting it. Uh, I didn't get my bachelor's till I was 49, master's at <laughs> 51. So I'm kind of an old school guy, anyway. So. Nothing true, wrong though. with that. Yeah. But what have you been learning though about? I, I mean, because that's cool that you have all this business experience, but then you're learning the educational side. So has there been any cool nuggets that you've gained? You know, I, I think the biggest thing that I learned is um, having been president of Woodside Homes and owning my own company before I finished my degrees, I realized that I did okay. I mean, they, they, we had a lot of success, but I probably didn't do it as smoothly as I could have had I had a little more uh, educational background. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in my master's, um, and I've learned a lot in my doctoral program. I've been in it for three years. It's not an easy program, but I've learned that I didn't do things very well. Yeah, yeah, I got things across the finish line, but it was a little bit messy. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and um, not that it was all bad, but it was a little bit messy. And so the idea of being able to have some other perspective that you gain through education. Um, you know, I have four kids. Uh, th- my three boys are extremely successful in their careers. None of them have a college degree. My daughter is is awesome in her career, and she has a degree in English from the University of Utah. I don't know that you need to have a degree, but it does give you some alternate perspectives. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of times, you know, in particular lately, there's – a college education is so expensive that a lot of people are questioning whether it's worth it. But um, but I think there's a lot to be said about being able to uh, not step into booby traps uh, that right. you learn right. from other people that come through education. There's a reason yeah. why education is important. Yeah. Well, even with uh, Home Builders Institute, where I serve as a board of trustee, we train skill-based labor around the country in job corps, academies, slick, you know, community colleges high schools, um, we always include soft skills. So we may train a carpenter or an electrician, but we always include those soft skills to help them be more successful in their mm-hmm. career. And By soft skills, you mean? How, you know, how, how to, to run a how business. To, how to run a business, yeah. how to communicate with people, you know, just those, those skills that aren't related to framing or, you know, using a yeah. saw yeah. or uh, safety. So I think part of that is just that. And, it, you know, the, I know a lot of the realtors go to educational programs. They have mentoring programs. You know, there's a lot of people that 
uh, or Buffini people. I understand. I've been to a few of his sessions, and you know that's great because that's where you learn something you can't get on your own. So any of that kind of stuff is also helpful. Uh, I don't think a college degree is right for everybody, mm-hmm. um, and I think we as a country, maybe even as the world, have pushed a lot of people into college because it's what you have to do, mm-hmm. um, and caused a lot of debt and stress that maybe they didn't need. Maybe they needed to go be a real estate agent without a degree or a carpenter or an electrician or a mortgage banker, you know, that you don't necessarily need a degree for. So uh, my son's senior vice president of retail lending for a huge national mortgage company, and he doesn't have a degree. He's just really smart at what he does. And, and uh, well, in the end, that's all that matters. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, although sometimes degrees can open a few doors, but what I love about the United States is, is the, the spirit of, of entrepreneurship that exists here and that you can succeed. Yeah. Hard work no matter goes what. a long ways, right? Yeah. Hard work goes If you're long willing ways. to work hard and, and be smart at what you do, I think a lot of times we forget common sense still plays a role. And, um, you know, when you, and oh, well, I'll tell you too. So, another thing I will tell you, this just popped into my head. So, I'm going to throw it out here. You're going to edit this anyway. So it's <laughs> no, I, I'm excited to hear. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in leadership is uh, we talk about controlling the inflow, but um, we have reactive and proactive events in our day. This podcast is a reactive event because it didn't end up in my calendar the way it should have, right? So, thank goodness for texting because I got a text. <laughs> but, in our day, I think a lot of people fill their day with what they feel are proactive events. And, and like, we've got to have everything in plan. I am totally a planner guy. If you looked at my calendar, it's all color-coordinated. My task <laughs> list is crazy. And I use a separate program for my task list. But you have to, as a leader or even a real estate agent, you have to build in some reactive time because life is reactive, Yeah. right? You're going to get the phone call from the customer that wasn't being planned for the day. And if you've got your day so tight with all these appointments and you have no planned reactive time, you're going to build up your own stress because you're not getting to things you need to. And you're not going to be able to be available for your customers when they need you. And so... And part of my leadership training, we talk about making sure you build in some reactive time and even some downtime. I'm reading a book right now written for women, but I have a lot of women who work for me <laughs> um, called Burnout. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an amazing book because it's, it's talking about the human body needs breaks. You need time to chill out. You need to be able to go for a walk during the workday or, you know, sit down and read something or just have a distraction. And um, I think we, we've gotten so um, focused on work, especially in the United States, that we forget that our bodies need what I would call yeah. rest yeah, right. on top of sleep. Right, something different, some type of distraction. I'm learning that from my Dominicans. It's... Um, it's very interesting. And traffic's horrible in Santo Domingo, so there's a purpose. But, I mean, a lot of times our team will go into our team room and play dominoes or Scrabble or something for 30 or 40 minutes after work before they go jump in their cars and fight the traffic. Oh, really? Home. Yeah. And it's the relationship down there is just amazing. It's a very uh, friendly atmosphere and uh, they work very, very hard. Our customers are very pleased with their work, but in a sense, they have found a way to rest, right, um, as part of their day, which is well. Awesome. You know that all all that culture. I don't know if they're still doing it down there, but you know the siesta only in Argentina. Is that only no, in they Argentina? Don't have, well, they I don't know. It? I mean, they don't have it in Mexico. They don't have it in the Dominican they Republic. Don't? No, that, and in that, Spain, I remember in, in Spain, Spain, they Spain they have, they have yeah. a I mean, I always thought that was kind of a. You know, kind of a neat thing. Everybody just kind of chills out for a little while and then goes back. Right. And um, and, and this is a little bit what you're talking about right. because you, you can just completely burn yourself out. I have realtor friends that literally work from 8 o'clock in the morning till 9 or 10 o'clock at night almost on a daily basis. And um, I think you can do that for a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm at, at 60 years old. I'm realizing that uh, – my body is telling me to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. So, but I, I would just suggest that is, you know, it's for all of our realtor friends, you know, when you plan your day, take some time to relax, take some time to do something different. 
and and then also just make sure you have time for reactive events because if you do then when they come you don't get stressed out about them well you know i absolutely love the term that you're using uh, a reactionary event because i believe that most people think they look at their calendar for the week and they look where their time is and they say well i need to put something in that spot yes they do because don't they? because you know okay from one to four i don't have anything on oh wednesday yeah oh my gosh what am i going to do from right. one to four and so they fill it with something and then something else comes up right and then they're like i have no place to put this and then they start moaning and groaning about how they're too busy Mm -hmm. how they hate their job and how their life is so stressed right i love that whole concept i think that's that's a great concept most people would say oh they don't have time there therefore they're lazy Mm -hmm. or something right um if i'm busy therefore i'm important right I'll tell you another thing that maybe realtors need to hear. So I have been to Buffini's events. I don't. Some of you realtors may know Buffini, but um, those type of events always focus on you're not successful unless you do this or that, right? And uh, I, I have in my emotional intelligence class I taught last week. I talk a lot about average is okay, right? Maya Angelou says average is okay. Now she was anything but average. Poet Lariat of the United States, yeah. great author. Um, but I think we need to um, realize that um, sometimes we can be good at some things, really, really good, but we're n- probably never going to be good at everything. And so um, it's okay to be average in some things, right? I am mm-hmm. not a very good golfer, and yet I like to golf. Just got back from Palm Springs uh, golfing. Um, I don't keep score. That's how bad a golfer I am. <laughs> so, but it's nice to be able well, to I go do Well, I keep score until I get to like 120. Oh, do you? Then somebody asks me, what you like, I don't know, I don't care. But I'm okay to be average at golf. Yeah. Right? I, could, I still went and bought some new clubs and, you know, got a new bag, got a U of U golf bag. And it's okay to be average at golf. I do not have to be a great golfer to go have fun. And um, so realize that we can be average and still be okay. I think that's important. I think we put ourselves under so much stress. And I think, I mean, statistically, if you start looking at the numbers, the stress increased during the pandemic dramatically. I know most people that work, all their companies are understaffed right now. So those who are there are working horrendous hours and and under tremendous stress. And somehow we need to reduce that stress a little bit, I think, and start enjoying life. I mean, we do. We, you know, we buy boats, we buy trailers, we buy campers, we go on fancy vacations and say that's our rest. But sometimes those are more work than rest. (laughs) (laughs) You come back from a, you come back exhausted. I know. (laughs) From your vacation. Exactly. Yeah, and like I said, even even seems like all of our vacations come with a lot of stress, right? Because we have to do all this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I, I went on a Gotta cruise. Got to go scuba dive. Well, yeah, right? I went on a cruise to, you know, over Christmas. And I'm like, we're, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. And we're going cave tubing. We're, I mean, it's like, I come back and I'm like, I just you know, want to go to sleep. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, just relaxing is probably okay. It's, you know, and so. It's um, so much fun. Yeah, I don't want to do it again. That's right. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think that's something we can all work on. And, and um, you know, what was the other thing I was thinking in emotional intelligence? We, you know, emotional intelligence is really important because it's really how we ourselves react. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in different situations. And, you know, there's, uh, there was just a report by the Highway Patrol, and they're like, you know, the, 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 the rage out there in traffic is, is growing. And that's, that's got to be a sign that we, we just are too stressed out. You know, Interesting. And, yeah, uh, you always. Say, I always say, you know, when somebody flips me off, you know, and I make mistakes driving. We all do. Yeah. When somebody flips me off, I say to myself, I, I just say, where, where are you? I mean, where are you in your life? I'm right. speaking to the other driver. Right. I say in my mind that a little thing, a little cutoff will get you to do that, yeah. to show that kind of rage. Yeah. But I've been there. I mean, I've been, my life has been so busy. So I'm, I'm driving down the road. I mean, it's like, I got to get there. Yeah. I got to get there. And what I've realized in my old age is that thing's probably still going to be there when I get there. <laughs> and, you know, if I get all stressed out and drive like a maniac, I get there, you know, instead Five of being minutes. two minutes late, I might be on time. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, that's one advantage of texting. Hey, I'm running behind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about this fast fast food world. Everything we're doing is just, we expect it now. We expect it immediately. And life really doesn't fit in that box very well. Hey, so, I, you know, we've been talking about this. Uh, I, I had one question. 
the life here in Utah seems to be picking up, you know. I mean, it's uh, more of a, you know, Salt Lake City, I think at least looking from the east perspective, is seen as more of a uh, quiet town. But it's it's the noise is, right. is uh, increasing here mm-hmm. in uh, Utah. So what do you see in the future for Utah when it comes to real estate um, and its effect on our uh, lives? Well, you know, one of the challenges we have um, – is that we have very limited ground in Utah. I don't know the exact number, but it's, I think it's over 80% of Utah is really controlled by the federal government. Um, I, right now, I, I helped create a policy for the National Association of Home Builders with my Nevada friends about um, land access because the Reno area literally will run out of land in like four years, five years. They will have no more land really because it's it's all surrounded by, by government, government land. land. Interesting. And so I, I sense that... As Utah grows, we will run into that same problem. I mean, I think, you know, prices are high in Utah because there's not a lot of land available. And we also have a lot of landowners who are small landowners, where in other states you have big landowners, so you go do big, huge projects that last 10 years or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, a daybreak type project. Right. You know, we have one. You go to Arizona, there's 20, you know, yeah. whatever. So I think one of the things that I worry about for Utah is just where do we build that product? And and how do we keep the prices at least affordable? You know, I live in Harriman. Harriman is like full of attached product, but really that's all the young families can afford because an attached product is still four or five hundred, six hundred thousand yeah. dollars. So where do we build the next homes? I mean, we we get farther and farther away from the city centers. We get west of the lake. But I think you know, if you look down the road twenty years, think twenty years ago. And think the west side in Harriman, Riverton, that was farmland. And it's now all eaten up by housing. Um, where does the next generation go? And we, we can't, we, we hit boundaries where the federal government owns that land, the BLM or whatever, we can't go into there. So I think that's one of the things we need to be thinking about long term. Um, certainly smaller lots and stuff have helped. Envision Utah was a great program that uh, the state did. I think that's one thing I really like about Utah is that I think our state government uh, does a pretty darn good job. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't say the same thing back in America. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we had an episode on Utah real estate. If we had someone from Utah on talking about yeah. how forward thinking our what state leaders are, yeah. yeah. So it's it's I actually you know, in moving here from the East Coast and moving to Utah, this is the part that's been most impressive to me is the uh, visionary aspect of the legislative body here in Utah. Right. I think I mean I've been super impressed and just you know how how they see things and how they're reacting seems to be super progressive and um forward looking yeah i mean they they they've done a great job i you know i wish we were a little more diverse in the legislature but overall it's hard to complain when you have balanced budgets and yeah you have excess money and they invest in in things that are very futuristic as far as looking down the road and saying, if we invest money here, this will be good. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. And, you know, we have a, we have an interesting work ethic here, and I, I hope it doesn't get diluted by all the people coming in from out of state because Utah's work ethic is very powerful and, and, and very honest. I mean, honestly, the one – so we've done business at Magleby with some out-of-state – entities has not been great experience Mm. Um, ended up in a few lawsuits and things like that because uh, the the mentality is just different i mean we do work for all the major commercial contractors here in town and we have problems all the time and we just deal with them together right it's a team approach and sometimes out of utah that is not the case it's like how can i screw you over (laughs) you know make sure i make more money and you make less and i really like that business atmosphere here in utah and hope that with all the influx it doesn't change yeah you know well and that's that's an interesting point too because uh one thing i noted in moving here to utah a few years ago was the i don't know I, i don't want to use the word integrity it's hard to use that word without it sounding um cheesy yeah right but i did note that there would seem to be a difference in how people businesses treated each other and uh, the, the word of somebody may mean a little bit more than yeah. what i found and it's east. not exclusive to utah i mean i have uh, i have a business relationship with 84 lumber back in 84 pennsylvania a large lumber yard on mm-hmm. the east coast midwest 
And, you know, the guy, Kurt, he says, is there any way we could, like, not use attorneys for a contract? You know, can we, like, do this on a handshake? And I'm like, yeah, but we need a bullet point. You know, we need something to, so we don't misunderstand things. And so we created a little bullet point contract, and, and you know, that's what we have. And I thought you were going to say, uh, just use a bullet. <laughs> uh, that could be, you know, we are in Utah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I laugh. My Dominicans are like, uh, yeah, don't ever, you know, you got to be careful going through security at the airport. So I'm like, oh, I know. I might have tried to take a loaded magazine through a couple of times. <laughs> you know, but no, it's, uh, it's all good. But I think, you know, it's that. So there are, there's a lot of great people in this country. And yeah. uh, there's some that, you know, we've had bad experiences with. But overall, uh, you know, if uh, Big D, Layton, Oakland, these guys we do work with, we have problems all the time. And they're just awesome. You know, we just get on the phone and figure it out and work together. And we, again, going back to relationships, right? Yeah. They know we're not trying to cheat them. We know they're not trying to cheat us. And so it's really easy to get to a solution. You yeah. know, um, we did uh, the cabinets in the Houston Temple after the flood. And we totally blew the the front desk, which is called the recommend yeah. desk right and we totally we didn't there was a there was an inlaid piece to it we tried to do it measure it and it it got there the inlaid piece that had been there prior to the flood didn't fit and you know i mean it's like okay you guys totally screwed up this is a big piece of furniture you built that doesn't work and you know our team just with the contractor we just worked it out you know and i think it was with jacobson and and we're just like okay put that piece in FedEx, get it to Mexico where our plan is. We'll rebuild the thing. We'll make sure it fits before we ship. We'll put it in for you. We'll ship it back. And we just solved the problem, you know, together. And it was a pretty big deal because it was at the end of the project and we didn't have a lot of time. And But, you know, that's that's what teamwork's all about. You, yeah, problems are going to happen. So just deal with it. And so that's the experience I have working with Utah people and love, love, love that. Yep. That's a great in fact, I was going to say, maybe you can cut this out, but one of the interesting things to me um, that I don't think most people who are actually from Utah will think about is is Utah is a young state. So you have – by young state, I mean I'm, I know 100 and some odd years doesn't seem young, but it is right. com- compared to the East Coast where you know I'm at and have been at my entire life. So the relationships – of people that have these big companies or big companies here in Utah, their relationship is pretty is is still relatively young, meaning they have strong ties that go back only a generation right. or so. Right. Whereas if you go back into some of the East Coast states, or you know, four hundred years, five hundred, they've lost that. Right. And that kind of gets lost uh, down the road when you you know two hundred years from yeah. now, um, those same kind of relationships you don't have them. Right. So is that making sense? Yeah, it totally does. And, you know, the economic community is talking right now about the great migration. So everybody's quitting their jobs. All four of my kids have changed jobs this year. And, um, you know, we we ask ourselves in business, why? Um, And I would propose that it's probably because of the lack of relationship development. We companies in general are not putting as much effort into keeping and building relationships. And, um, and I, you know, and I'm guilty of that myself. And so I think we need to step back and look and say, what does it take? Um, I just read an article working on my dissertation about Gen Z. I think that's the one about how they're so different from Gen X and from, you know, mm-hmm. obviously my gen, our generation yeah, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and what we as, as businesses need to be prepared for as they come into the workforce. And, and, um, you know, we need to understand that. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with a much highly uh, or a much higher educated workforce even if they don't go to college even what they're getting in high school and stuff is 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 more yeah, it's unbelievable what they get in entrepreneurship yeah. and mm-hmm. and you know and so they're coming in with different ideas and and I tell business leaders that I consult with you know as a business owner what do you what do you pay when you pay an employee a salary both of you get paid to be here, right? Mm-hmm. What is your? What are the owners paying for? Well, they're paying for that thing between your ears. And so often we as business leaders don't allow that to come out. We're paying for it, but we want it to stay inside. 
Don't speak. Yeah. Just do what you're told, you know, and we don't allow that to actually be part of the employment equation. And so um, I will, I teach a class called Meetings Suck. And um, <laughs> I talk to leaders. And I'm like, do you sit at the head of the table? You're an idiot. Don't sit at the head of the table. Do you go in and start talking right off the bat? Most leaders do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, and then all you get is what the people think you want to hear. Yeah. But if you come in and you act like a hearing aid rather than a megaphone, you will actually learn a ton of stuff. And this really works if you try it. It's so awesome. I'm trying that next meeting. No, okay. you should really try it because you go in there and you set the agenda so everybody kind of knows what you're talking yeah. about. And please send the agenda out a couple days ahead so you're not getting knee-jerk reactions. You're getting well-thought-out comments, hopefully. And um, But you come in and you're a hearing aid and so you plant the seed. Okay, uh, we're thinking about implementing a new policy on cell phone use in the company while you're at work or watching videos while you're at work or whatever. And um, sit back and listen and allow what you're paying for to actually come out. Because as soon as you say something, you shut down everybody else, except for the loud mouth who likes to control everything in the meeting anyway. And so you sit there and listen, and I am amazed because half the, no, more than half the time, probably 90% of the time, I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, and so I actually, by the time I do contribute, which is after I listen to everybody else, then I try and summarize and contribute and say, well, okay, that's all great. This is what I was thinking. My approach to that discussion has totally changed because I've allowed all that brain power in the right. room that I'm paying for to actually be turned on. Well, then they probably feel good that they're, because I remember before I was here, I worked at an engineering firm and we were in a meeting and it was like a marketing thing and they were all sharing these ideas that I was like, that's not really good. And I shared mine and they thought it was like so good, but I'm not an engineer. I'm a marketer. Right. right. And, but just having them all be like, wow, that's, I never would have thought of that. I'm like. That's the dumbest idea ever, but to right. them. But it made me feel like a contributor and part of a group. Oh, and so like, you actually like working there yeah. because they listen to you. Yeah. What so, a novel idea. Well, you know, it's interesting you say this. It reminds me of an experience I had. I was sitting in a meeting one time, and the leader of the meeting said, I want to hear your ideas on this subject. And then somebody gave their idea, and, I mean, he just tore it to shreds. That's and the then, dumbest idea I've ever heard yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then when he said that, then he said, anybody else? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, no yeah. crickets. No. I mean, it went crickets. And then we left the meeting, and I was like, that was a complete disaster because, of course, right. oh. immediately he gave his opinion on this You uh, shut subject. down the brain yeah, power. The brain you power. make power. I love off. this. I, I mean, yeah. I, th these are some great ideas. Yeah. Wonderful it, ideas. It's, you know, it's, we're paying for that, and we don't let it come out. And, and I will tell you, and we've experienced some pretty hefty turnover at Magleby the last year and a half. And so we're asking ourselves, what, what are we doing wrong? You know, what's going on? Why, why are these, we, we emphasize culture so much at Magleby. What are we doing wrong? One of the things I think we struggled with was we hired a consulting firm, a Utah firm. I won't tell you who they are, but they, they have a feedback program that we implemented and it started off really really good and we had some great success and then it totally turned negative and mm -hmm. and we did a survey right before i left being cfo there um that our employees came back and said we hate the feedback program because it had turned so negative mm -hmm. and it was very mechanical and i uh, so i teach a class right now called growth producing relationship based feedback because i think feedback we all need feedback right we need to know what we do right and what we do better and not so good and, and uh, but it's the idea of is that feedback growth producing right do we is it relationship based do i care enough about you that i can have a tough conversation with you but i don't leave you i don't say okay this is what's wrong go fix it i say we walk arm in arm if you yeah. don't you might as well just fire them right yeah but if you if you really care about them and you and love in business is not a four letter word love should be involved in everything we do in business and if i love you enough and care about you enough that we're going to talk about this situation say you're coming in late at work every day first off i'm going to know what is the real problem yeah right not not coming to work is the superficial problem what's the real problem well i have to take my daughter to daycare and i can't that's something i can't change but i haven't wanted to tell you that you know, I don't want to be a whiner or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, okay, dude, if that's the situation, why don't you just come into work a half an hour later and work a half an hour? I mean, I don't really care, yeah. right? So 
But that feed, that growth-producing relationship-based feedback is what really makes a difference. Harvard did a study. 90% of employees hate year-end interviews. Hate them. And I'm one of them. And I have been a president or officer of companies. I've very rarely been a, like a, an employee type yeah. level. Mm-hmm. And I still have to have those, and I hate them. I get stressed out. You know, oh, my gosh, i got to go talk to Ezra Nelson, the owner of Woodside Homes. And most of the time, it was just like, hey, Brad, okay, things are going good. Work on this, work on that. Yeah. Here's your bonus check. See you later. <laughs> but I still get totally stressed out, right? Yeah. And that's what the Harvard study said. 90% absolutely hate them. So why do we do them? You know, why do we do them? Why don't we know our employees well enough that we don't have to do that? Uh-huh. You know, why uh-huh. don't we take a little time and get to know them so that we already know what's going on? We know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're trying to help them in a growth-producing way with the bad stuff. So there's there's a lot that we could do differently that really help um, stabilize this great. Well, don't you think migration. that the only reason why a lot of employees even want that is because they want to be recognized? Oh, absolutely. A moment and, and get a raise. Right. Yeah, and get yeah. a raise. A moment of mm-hmm. being saying, "Hey, you're doing Thanks. a good job." Yeah. And right. by the way, I'll give you two cents more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you well, know, kind of a thing. And they hate that too because I know right. exactly what you mean. Even if you're on a positive thing, it's just not a real comfortable. You know, Matthew Magleby is the president of our trade group at Magleby. It's called uh, Masterpiece Trade Services, and we have a hundred guys that about 120 really that go out and actually do the work. And I'm a structure guy, so like, you know, raises every year, whatever. If you're going to give them, they're going to happen in January. Da, 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 da. He just like does them when they need to be done. Mm-hmm. And it, it, to begin with, that drove me nuts because it's not structured enough, right? It has totally been a win for our guys. Totally a win. Um, now, when you say need. Meaning, so like when, if you've got a guy that felt pre- like it was deserved, a deserved, right? Or you know, okay, I, you know, Matthew says I never give cost of living raises, but I take that into my consideration, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got guys getting raises throughout the whole year. Nobody has an expectation that every December they get a cost of living raise. Mm-hmm. We're just dealing with it as we see the need, right? Right. And we're close enough to the guys that we we do it when it's needed, or if they change a position or something like that. So. Um, that making that more informal, and we don't do year-end interviews, uh, making that more informal has really helped make it a more comfortable situation. Yeah. Right? And you have to pay attention. You have to know what's going on in the marketplace. You have to be able to see what your guys are doing, listen to your team leads. But it sure makes it a lot funner place to be. I'll tell you, the other thing we did with those guys is we went from – paying twice a month to paying every Friday, which for trade guys is way yep, important. And then we went to quarterly bonuses based on performance and profitability of the company rather than making them wait till the end of the year, which we did it under the Magleby umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, our guys are just tearing it up. They're just doing a great job because we're treating them a little more like humans and we're being a little more informal than we were before. Well, and with construction, I would assume that it's in such high demand that it's hard to keep we 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 have a hundred maybe a hundred and ten guys right now. We need a hundred and fifty. Yeah, we can't find them. But but so. I bet that that makes it even more. They'd want to be there because right. And we paid. don't lose yeah. very many. We lose yeah. guys that come in and work for a week and don't like construction yeah. and they go away. Uh-huh. But we really don't lose many of our core guys that have been with awesome. us for a while because we awesome. we're just trying to do things differently. And I think that goes for real estate agents that have small teams. Um. And I'll tell you, well, there's so much I could talk about. Um, I do not believe in the word delegate. Uh, delegate to me is abdic- abdication. You know, I delegate mm-hmm. something to you. It's on your shoulders. Ha, I'm not responsible anymore. When yeah. you fail, you fail. I don't mm-hmm. fail, you fail, right? And uh, I don't really care what you've already got on your plate. I'm still going to tell you I need this done by Friday. And I don't really care what your capacity is or what I call your stretch capacity. How far can you really stretch without failing? So in a lot of ways, when we delegate, we set people up to fail. And so I like to call it entrustment. I'm going to entrust something with you, but before I do that, I'm going to know what's on your plate. I'm going to know your capacity. Okay, this is a little bit outside of your capacity. Is it within your stretch capacity? Yeah, you can stretch. I have faith that you can stretch. Maybe we even talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Can you stretch a little bit? Um, and then I'm going to follow up with you 
very frequently, not to drive you nuts, but just to make sure that you you have the help you need to succeed, right? Yeah. When we delegate, too often we just delegate to the gutter. Mm-hmm. You know, we just we we delegate to failure. And so those are things that I think leaders need to really focus on. And in our real estate community, if you're running a small team or even a large brokerage, think about those things is how do we how do we entrust people with projects or, you know, what are the matrix we set? Engineering is where most of our matrix come from. And engineers have to have everything exact. Humanity is not exact. And yet we've all assumed that we have to have a dashboard that has all these things. If you don't hit this, you don't get yeah. paid. Or, you know, uh, I'll never forget, I did a contest at Woodside Homes for the, my top site manager, superintendent. And we sent a guy to Hawaii with his, with his wife on a week-long, all-expense-paid vacation to the guy that won. And uh, Scott Jenkins, if you're listening, Scotty, I'm still sorry. Um, <laughs> great guy came into my office and he said, um, you know you sent the wrong guy. I'm like, no, I sent the guy that won. He goes, Brad, the project I was in, the houses I was building, I never could have won that contest. Uh. Had nothing. I could have worked as hard as anybody, more harder than anybody, and I never could have won that contest. And I sat back and I went through the rules and I thought, you know what? He is absolutely right. I set him up based on the project he was in right. that he failed in that contest. It had nothing to do with how hard Scotty worked. You know, so I started thinking about how often do we do that to our team members that we set up all these dashboards and you know, there's consultants out there, you gotta have this dashboard, you gotta have that dashboard, you gotta do this. I'm like, ah no, I'm not into it. Federal firearms was failing. They brought in a new guy. And his dashboard was whiteboards in the factories. And anybody could update the whiteboard. It wasn't updated by a secretary or an assistant. It was updated by the production guys. And it was live. It was real. It was right now. It wasn't three weeks late. And uh, he is convinced that those whiteboards in the factories that let the guys update themselves was what made them turn the corner and become a profitable company. And I love that. And and I I could see why that would, because the they are participating in getting the feeling of making that change. Right. You know, they walk up to the whiteboard and they said, Okay, we got whatever unit mm-hmm. or whatever value was supposed to be accomplished and erase a number, whatever that happened to be, mm-hmm. and put another number up there and they feel that satisfaction. Well, it makes total sense. Yeah, you're the swing shift. You come in, yeah. you look at the whiteboard and go, Oh my gosh, the day shift did this much. Yeah, right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, do we're gonna, do, we're gonna do a little bit more than them, yeah, you know. A little and, bit more than that. And it gave ownership to the people that are really in yeah. the trench. You know, I worked for a major uh, insurance company and they were always setting up contests and whatnot, but you could see immediately how the contest was set up that at least 50% of the agents, there was no way they could win, right. no matter what. Right. It, they could have worked 24 7 and it never would have uh, worked for them. So immediately 50% just said, This not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. This doesn't motivate me. In fact, it makes me angry. Right. And, right. and in fact, there was another contest that was held with another company. I never could figure it out. They just said, however, the increase of your production was, whatever percentage you increase, that whoever had the most increase in their production was the winner. Mm-hmm. But if you've got somebody who's producing two widgets and another guy that's producing 25 widgets, and that's your top widget guy, he's got to produce 50 widgets, and, and the two widgets got to produce six. Right. And the one that wins six wins right it doesn't make any sense right. at all but management a lot of times i don't know what they're thinking yeah they go no, through this it, and make it, these kinds we, of things. we 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 strive to motivate and in many ways we disincentivize yeah, our team exactly. members mm-hmm. so i'll tell you one more thing since we're talking to realtors um i really like um when we talk about business development for realtors whether it's working with a builder mm-hmm. you know creating relationships with customers the one shoe fits all does not work i'll give you a perfect example so my ex-wife is a great interior designer award-winning interior designer here in the valley has celiac disease so she cannot eat gluten it's not Mm -hmm. the fad it's not the diet fad it's a illness right it's a problem so 
a lot of time customers will come in flooring people or lighting people or whatever and they'll bring her you know these fancy cupcakes or cookies or whatever and it just would make her mad because she can't eat it right <laughs> yeah but think about this what if somebody knew her well enough that understood she had celiac and they brought her a gluten-free muffin yeah. or a gluten-free cookie now you are her hero, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I, I tell people I consult with, find out what your customers like. If they like golf, give them golf balls rather than a cookie. Mm-hmm. You know, Find out. If they're on a diet and you bring them tw- a box of 12 donuts, yeah. again, they're just like, ugh. Yeah. You know, it just brings up the negative rather than, hey, you know, okay, she's on a diet. What could I bring? I'll bring her a salad or, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. just taking it, it takes more time. It totally takes more time. But think about the impact you have because you're spending money on these things. And, you know, at Magleby, I mean, I remember one year we gave all of our customers a Leatherman. And I remember thinking, really? How many of our customers, these are yeah. multi-million dollar home customers, want a Leatherman? Yeah. I don't even know what a Leatherman is. It's a multi-purpose knife. Screwdrivers, oh. the whole works, right? <laughs> yeah. Construction guys love them. But I mean, most of our customers probably, it's sitting in a drawer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. screwdriver. I mean, right. that little corkscrew yeah. has never yeah. come out. Uh, we also give uh, custom-made um cutting boards they're round and i will tell you that we do a lot of work for the holding family and and mrs holding we gave her that one year and her private attorney who's a friend of mine said she will i called said would she like this she goes she will hate it uh we received a handwritten note from carol holding so a very influential business leader here in the community uh, handwritten saying, thank you so much. This was so awesome. Has her name on it. Um, I'm taking this to my ranch in Montana, and I know exactly where I'm going to hang it on my wall. I will never use it as a cutting board. It's much too nice. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, okay. So in that case, we did a generic thing, but it totally yeah. nailed it, right? But yeah. think about the impact you can have as a realtor if you really know your customers well enough that you give them something that they really care about. Yeah. Not something that's just going to end up in the junk drawer or in the garbage can immediately. Well, you know, I could talk to you for about. I know. Hours. I feel like I've learned so much. I love it. Yeah. So. I could go on and on and on. And maybe we will. We just have to turn <laughs> yeah. the mic off because it'll get too long. But. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, who can you nominate to be on this podcast? So she'll kill me because she's one of these people that runs a very busy life. But Heather Roxburgh would be phenomenal. She is extremely sharp. Runs a great little team here in town. Just opened a brand new office in Draper. That is an amazing approach even to how to create an office. I'm so impressed uh, with what she's done there, just in how it it fits her team. Um, So if you can get her, she would be really, really good. 